Welcome back to the program. Father Lewis is going to begin our program with a scripture reading and a prayer. Father. Okay. For our scripture reading today, I've got, uh, we're recording this on the Feast of uh, St. Agnes. And I um, always like the, the readings attached with the saints and for the readings of the day. So we'll take a look at the gospel passage. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those whom he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him, and he might send them forth to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Lord Jesus Christ, we ask you also for the grace to send us forth as your modern-day apostles into the world in which we live, to proclaim your word and to do your will in all things. And we ask this in all your blessings, in your most holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Father Lewis. So, Father, uh, I mentioned to you that you don't know what day this is on. So, normally we are heard on Mondays, but we're, we're, you got bumped. Uh-oh. So, so this is actually being heard on Tuesday. And there's oh. a reason why. Uh, yesterday, I had on the program Angela Conley. And she was giving an update about a number of things that um, she's doing in coordination with a number of other um, folks in the Tacoma area. And they have an event on Wednesday. And so we wanted to give just one extra day for their event to get a little bit of visibility in the hopes that more folks would listen and uh, be able to take action. Because it was very powerful, a very powerful the way that they are engaging in some of the most pressing issues that are happening today. Everything from how do we properly support and engage with the uh, police uh, and how the police um, provide such a valuable service and how do we create better bridges and, and uh, relationships. And they've been able to successfully do that. And addressing the homeless crisis in Tacoma has been a huge issue. And so talking, she shared about the things that they're doing to reach out and help uh, wrap around uh, with a variety of services and help improve the, the, the situation in life of those who are in these various tent cities in the Tacoma area. And then in addition, on Wednesday, they're gathering together business leaders who also have been deeply impacted and are struggling in the midst of this COVID reality. And so um, you have um, city, the mayor and city councilors and the chief of police coming to hear from business leaders about what their situation is and then what can they do. It's not just about listening, it's about taking action. And it was so inspiring. It was like, sorry, Father, <laughs> you got bumped. But you know what you got bumped to? You got bumped from uh, the Feast of St. Francis of Sales to the Feast of the Conversion of St. Paul. Not too bad. Not oh. not a bad... Uh, <laughs> not a not bad a, trade. Not a bad trade-off. <laughs> and I, I love that. I just I love that idea that um, the things that you can put into feast days... I mean, how many other feast days are actually dedicated to a conversion. Right. You know, I, I don't think there's any other. I, I, I'm not aware of, like there are, uh, I'm trying to think of like days that look like that, the days that are identified with an event, like maybe the, the slaughter of the innocents. Yeah, right? maybe. So that's or maybe what, some of the saints, their feast days, usually if they're like martyrs or if they just uh, died natural causes, the feast days are or when they've entered into heavenly glory. But sometimes the feast day has moved to another significant moment uh, in that saint's life. And so maybe some of them are the moment when they had a, a conversion experience. I, I don't know. But uh, I know John Paul II, for example, is on October 22nd, the day he was 
made pope and that's his feast day so maybe there's a saint whose feast day is on that on that particular day for that same reason i don't know yeah but i mean saint paul has i mean he has june 29th right with Mm -hmm. saint Saint peter Peter. so that's that's one Uh, is there another feast of saint paul i don't believe so i think he uh he has those two and then of course, not to be outdone, St. Peter has his two, the chair of St. Peter, and then June 29th. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, and then we have what? Um, isn't it the beheading of John the Baptist? Is that a feast day? It is. August, um, I think it's August 29th each year. Okay. And then his nativity, June 24th. So he gets to have two. Yeah, he gets Man, you see a few saints get in there, get jammed <laughs> in there a couple times. I uh-huh. like that. That's cool. Um, well, one of the things that happened, uh, what I want to, today what we're going to talk about, Father, is uh, we're going to start with St. Agnes, then we'll move to conversion to St. Paul, and then we'll end up on St. Francis de Sales. All right. And we have about 20 quotes in St. Francis de Sales, which I'm sure we'll we'll be able to cover all of that content. Yeah. Right? All of that content. (laughs) Um, Though I want to begin with something kind of cutesy, again, another surprise for you. Um, One of our customs when, when you come to my humble studio here and we record is we will bless ourselves with epiphany water, which I have to provide. <laughs> so I had to provide it, Father. I have a gallon of it sitting here in my in my room. And I asked you, Father, I said, Father, do you, you, you could make your own. I'm like, oh, what happened? <laughs> what happened? Well, I mean, there's only so many hours in the day, and I de- dedicated uh, the lion's share of that day preparing for the epiphany blessing above... Um, and then writing the Epiphany Blessing above the every entryway on the parish campus at St. Mary. So I should have been able to do both. You but, were laboring um, in the vineyard. I like that. <laughs> I love that. Now, um, for those who aren't aware, what is the Epiphany Blessing? So it's, uh, you know, you, uh, well, what it looks like, um, and people, you know, families do this above the entryways to their homes. It begins, uh, so this year it begins with the, 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 the numeral 20, so two zero, and then a cross, C, cross, M, cross, B, cross, and then um, you can do our numbers or Roman numerals, however I've commonly seen it, but the, the concluding numbers of the year. So 20 and then whatever the year is. So 2022, so I have XXII. And uh, so it looks like you're adding 20 plus C plus M plus B plus XXII, uh, like some kind of complicated math equation. But the CMB... Um, uh, let's see. That means something, or their initials for a phrase in in, uh, in Christ, Latin. Christ bless this house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Christ bless this house, and then and then, but they're also the initials of the um, the names of the three wise men: Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. And so, you know, the idea is that the wise men, you know, traveled, you know, traversed afar to visit the home of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. So we ask for kind of the blessing of their presence on our homes too, where we pray Jesus, Mary, and Joseph will reside with us. And so the tradition is to do that on January 6th each year or the occasion of the Epiphany uh, if we transfer to a Sunday. So uh, that's what I did. I transferred it to the Sunday. Um, well, that's what our diocese does, and so that's when I, I did the uh, signs. Now, it's funny. When I got to St. Mary and I did this for the first time, our maintenance man, uh, manager, Mark Mandrill, he's not Catholic, he, uh, he texts me and our principal and everyone else and says, Looks like we've been tagged by a gang. I'm I'm work right now erasing what they did, and uh, and and they text again. I found another one above the gym door. This seems to be really serious. I'm calling the police, and he was serious. And I text him right back. Said, "Don't do it. It's not a gang mark. I did it, and here's why." So uh, now he knows, and now I warn him each year before I do it, so he doesn't panic and <laughs> and erase what I've done. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, and you use blessed chalk. 
Yeah, so right. I bought a you know Crayola chalk that you get, and then I um, I take a stick out each year, and it pay- basically takes a whole stick to do all the entryways that I do, and and bless it, and then do the blessing at the entrance of the church, and then go around the, the church and the school and the rectory and all of our outbuildings and put the blessing above every entryway. You know, it's uh, for me, I, I love this. So you'll see it over our, our door on the way out, but that was from last year. Uh-huh. Last year. So I missed it. So you, you can get on me for missing uh, the Epiphany blessing. I, I was sick. And oh, well, so that, yeah, that's th- this excuse, is rationalization. Yeah. You like that? <laughs> I'm, I'm really good at dancing around to this, but... Um, and so we didn't get our blessed chalk, um, oh. and so we missed. So can I do it now? Can I still do it later if I use blessed chalk? Um, I th- I would I would, I don't say why not. Why but, not? The uh, Lord's like, ah, yeah. oh, sorry, you yeah, missed out. You missed out. You, you missed know? out on that window. Um, but and then the four crosses I've also heard represent the four seasons. Oh, okay. I just, thought they were maybe the the like the four corners of the world, but I never oh, well, heard. Um, I, you know otherwise. what? I love that time and space. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, right? yeah. So yeah. you can cover it all, and that it's all marked by the sign of the cross, and that's that idea of dedication, that idea mm-hmm. of setting apart, that idea of welcoming and calling upon blessing, and all of those meanings. And so that's a powerful way for families because the uh, I think that the the tradition is have a priest come and do it if they can. Yeah, but. You probably have a few parishioners, so it's probably a little <laughs> bit difficult to get to every home, and um, uh, and the uh, then if not, the head of the household can do it. Yeah, yeah. So I've had families come to me. You know, if if I'm unable to do it for them, they'll come to mass with the chalk, and so we can bless the chalk for them, and then they go home and and do it that day after yeah. they go home. So yeah. But when you think about it, folks, it's a beautiful way to do something distinct in your home that is not ordinary, mm-hmm. right? So you have a janitor at a Catholic school who thinks that there's a gang tag, right? And in fact, it is tagging something. Mm-hmm. It's tagging it with a blessing. It's tagging it with a sign that says, um, we, um, we set apart this home for the purposes of the Lord. Yeah. And I just love that. So moms and dads, it's something that you can still do. And there are prayers. You don't have to make it up. It's not long. It's not a long ritual. It's no. pretty short. Um, the prayer where you're praying that the Lord would bless the home and all those who dwell in it, and that in the comings and goings, right? Because mm-hmm. it's over the front door. So it's yeah. over the comings and goings that are happening in that home. Yeah. And sure enough, we have enough um, non-Catholic friends come into our home who notice it and then Great little chance to evangelize. Exactly. They ask about, what do you have that up there for? Well, let me tell you. And then, boom, before you know it, you're proclaiming a piece of the gospel to them, right? Yep. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And so that that actually is, a, for me, an entry point into part one. Part one is St. Agnes. Uh-huh. Okay. So, um, and I say that, that idea of dedication, that idea of setting apart, that idea of asking the Lord to bless. Now, my understanding is that St. Agnes is also associated with a Catholic custom, connected to discerning one's vocation. Have you ever heard that? No, I haven't. Yeah, so St. Agnes, I believe, was an early martyr mm-hmm. in the church, uh, in, in the Church of Rome. And the, um, the custom is that you ask, through the intercession of St. Agnes, to have the Lord communicate to you what your life vocation is, and that it'll often come in the form of a dream. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and so I've heard stories of, um, you know, young men and women who are single who pray 
and they ask for that revelation on that day for the for the uh, through the intercession of Saint Agnes to pray to have that that vision that inspiration that insight into their vocation wow and it's not magic you know right. it's uh, for me it's it's the way in which the lord I actually like this this is that idea that um that the lord is not afraid of his saints mm. he's not threatened by his saints but he loves to raise up and honor his saints by associating certain blessings to their intercession. Mm -hmm. So, um, in fact, John Mark was talking to me about this um, last night um, after our prayer time. He was asking, he was talking about we, we were praying the um, luminous mysteries, right? And um, he um, shared about the second luminous mystery which is the wedding feast at Cana, and about the intercession of the Blessed Mother and how he had been questioned that day at school by someone about the Blessed Mother's role uh, as intercessor and, um, and how she was instrumental in bringing about this miracle at the wedding feast. Mm -hmm. and, and it was like, did she cause that blessing? Because this was like there was some kind of podcast going on and it was like, well, you don't talk about Mary causing these blessings. It was God who's the source of all these miracles, so you shouldn't really say that. And I'm like, you know what, Father Lewis, I want you to... I said, I said that was semantics. <laughs> I said it was semantics because God causes saints to be raised up and associated with certain blessings, certain categories of blessings. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong on that? No, well, what also came to mind, too, is, uh, you know, getting a bit philosophical, we might ask, what do you mean by cause? Because Aristotle's four causes, I think it could be argued she she certainly could be at least one of the causes. She was, in a sense, kind of the efficient cause because she was the means by which that brought the needs uh, of the people to the attention of the Lord, and so kind of a vehicle of a cause, but then Jesus took it from there. So, I mean, you could get technical like that, I suppose. I like that, a caused <laughs> cause. That's good. Yeah, Um don't be afraid of the saints, yeah. right? Somehow, it's not like the saints convinced God to take action, but for me, it's just the opposite. It's, no, you're honoring the Lord and what he has done in this world through holy men and women who have said yes. And if you say yes to the Lord, all of a sudden, you can become a vessel that the Lord sets apart to be a cause of blessing in other people's lives, and preeminently, it's the Blessed Mother. But on Friday, today's feast day, St. Agnes. Yeah, yeah. St. Agnes, it's like, do you want to know your vocation? Right? You deal with how many young adults that have questions around their vocation, and you're raising before their minds the, the idea that the Lord has a call for your life. Well, look to St. Agnes, especially yeah. on a feast day like last Friday. We probably should have talked about this a couple days ago so that <laughs> they would have been ready for it. All right, Father, we're up against a break. When we come back, um, uh, we'll pick up on that theme and then we'll move on to the conversion of St. Paul. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kernan with Father Jeff Lewis. So, Father, how pressing is this theme of discerning one's state in life or one's vocation, how is, do you see that emerge in, um, are there certain traits or characteristics, you know, in terms of like age and stage of when you um, encounter people who are discerning a life vocation? Like, can you remember like the earliest, like authentic 
questioning of someone's vocation uh, versus, oh, it's when these kinds of conditions happen, they start thinking about those bigger mm-hmm. things. Are, are there any, yeah, I, I'm interested in like, what, what have you learned as you've walked with and been a pastor to many young people who um, have a vocation and start to think about it? Well, in, in my experience, um, I don't know if there's a kind of a, a magical point in, in life where where you start to discern that. In fact, it's almost it almost seems like it's a, something of a of a learned skill because you know kids as young as you know preschool, you can ask them, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And that's a kid's way of asking, "What's your vocation?" or "What do you feel your vocation might be?" Well, of course, they're all thinking, you know, astronaut or firefighter, or whatever it is, doctor or whatever. And, um, and so, you know, that's what you would expect at that age level. Uh, but then, you know, then, then as they, as, as the kids can mature and, and they're getting into probably around, you know, puberty, I suppose, when they start to discover, you know, boys and girls, each other, right. That, uh, now they may be actually giving thought to, to, uh, to romance, although they wouldn't call it that, but they, they understand the, the, um, they start to at least understand or experience feeling at the nuptial meaning of their bodies, as St. John Paul would say. And um, and so now you can start to talk to them about could marriage be in your future, and I feel that's probably the age where you could really um, really start to uh, encourage them to discern their vocation. Now, for the younger kids, I might say, well, how many of you ever thought maybe I could be a priest, or if they're a girl, you know, a religious sister, and because but they're in their minds, they're still thinking like, well, those are just other job options amongst others, like firefighter and astronaut and so on. And that and again, I I think that's fine. I try at that level to say, well, you know, you know, priest is you know a vocation. I'll explain what a vocation is, and just like being a uh, married and being a parent is a vocation. So, can you imagine your dad saying, well, I would really love to be a firefighter, but you no, know, darn it, I'm married and I got all these kids. Of course not. They can certainly be both. And similarly, a priest can be. Um, I don't know any priest who's a firefighter, but I've known priests who have been police chaplains and you know, part-time kind of police officers in that respect and doctors and other things, lawyers and so on. And so anyway, the little kids start to get it, but I think they can start to appreciate on a deeper level, maybe about the time they start to uh, go through puberty, because now they understand kind of there's, I can be married and have kids and I can be these things that I've been always dreaming about since I was a kid. And that's where I can really press in. Um, Now, puberty maybe start to happen, uh, you know, depending, you know, fifth, sixth or seventh grade. And I kind of heard this rule one time, the rule of 11 for promoting vocations. When the child is 11, you can start to introduce the idea, and that's about fifth grade. And then when the child is in 11th grade, uh, to really uh, press in on it a bit more. And now, not just to say you ask the child twice in their lives and that's it, but the idea is to kind of introduce it and then kind of hit it harder because after 11th grade, now they're starting to look beyond high school and maybe seminary or convent is what's for them. But but um, anyway, but it's kind of a learned thing because it's it's still talking with even young adults like, well, I feel like my vocation is this and what they're describing is another job or it's a really glorified hobby. And, um, and I'm like, well, don't you see that that could still be what God wants you to do, but as a priest or as a religious or as a married man, you know, it's not the same, it's not the same all caps, you know, capital V vocation, you know, that we're talking about here, you know. You know, in fact, that's that's a lot of my journey. So I had this tremendous passion for proclaiming Jesus. I had this like burning desire to talk to people about the Lord and to help answer their questions and help them to go deeper in faith. And so as a young man, that meant for me one thing, priesthood. 
because lay ministry in the early 80s was just not a thing. You know, there were very, very few people who were working full-time as lay people in the church. And so when I would talk about this with um, my pastor, and my pastor who eventually became my spiritual director, there was just this sense of, I so love Jesus that all I want to do is um, be able to talk about him. Well, that was clearly a sign you're called to be a priest. Mm-hmm. Well, as the years went on in the seminary, there was this sense of, is there another option? And so when I ended up leaving the seminary, it wasn't that I had discerned that I wasn't called to be a priest. It was that I wasn't clear about the call to be celibate. And so I ended up living in a, uh, an intentional Christian community um, with a bunch of Catholic men and served at a parish. So I got to walk alongside priests, and I got to discern and experience a celibate call outside the seminary. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. And, and for me, it was um, I, I loved that because I didn't have the sense of being on a conveyor belt, right? Yeah. So being in the seminary, there's this sense of forward movement towards the goal. The inevitable goal. The yeah. inevitable goal is the laying of hands. And, and I can remember, uh, you tell me, in the seminary, was there more pressure uh, felt and anxiety felt around uh, the ordination to the priesthood or to the diaconate? Um, you see where I'm going with this? I think so. Well, I it was think at the so, diaconate yeah. uh-huh. because that was when you committed to celibacy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. guys would always joke about, you know, um, all right, this is it now. Yeah. You know, as a deacon, you, you know, now you're called to be celibate. And right. then it was like, is there a canon law where I, if I back out, <laughs> that I, I'm free from my celibate, you know, celibacy? And and that was just, um, that could have been just a sign of the times. Uh, do you remember any of that kind of banter? There was kind of that banter, but I was thinking also like, you know, so you went through seminary, you know, before the breakout of the sex abuse crisis. I didn't enter until after. And so the idea of like you're on a conveyor belt to the inevitable goal, I think there's still a considerable bit of that in seminary even today. But I didn't feel that as much as I suppose you might have because as, you know, as I described it, as hard as some certain priests might be trying to recruit vocations and bring guys into seminary, the seminary is trying just as hard to kick you out. So they're like, looking for any little thing that could be an excuse why you ought not be in seminary anymore and certainly not called the priesthood and almost like an overcorrection. So I didn't I didn't feel the conveyor belt kind of wow, we didn't have that. What's that? We didn't have that. Oh. No, that's the first time I've ever heard that. Oh. That there was that sense of like scanning the horizon and looking for a gotcha. Yeah, it, it, uh, that's how wow. I felt. For sure. In fact, it was told that to me by one of my formators that so we're getting close to my diaconate. He said, you know, for two and a half years, you know, with you with us in seminary, we kind of look at the radar screen as he described it and any kind of blips that may come up and, okay, let's see what that's about. And he said, as we get closer, we expand the radar screen to see what else could be out there. So they're really looking for, effectively what he's saying is we're looking for any remote, minuscule outlier in terms of what we observe in your behavior, and we're going to zero in on that and make it a big deal. And I'm like, well, why? <laughs> well, I, so well, what's the answer? I would Let me say, would it be because in the seminary, you can hide. Right? So, so there's yeah. a lot of that. There like is. It's like you just check the box and you stay in line mm-hmm. and you don't kind of stand out. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of like hiding that can happen right. of, of problematic areas. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe that was a thing when I was in the seminary because I do remember a few guys talking about sort of duck and cover and just jump through the hoops ah. and just get to ordination. But I was not like that. Yeah. 
I was so out there. Me too. I, I'm like, <laughs> and it got me in trouble. Yeah. Sometimes. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. I. Um, anyways, I, I think I told you I did what I did one time. You know how you every year you get your um, uh, like evaluation, uh-huh. right? Your student evaluation, and they go down through the different st- community life, academic life, spiritual life, and they give you your feedback. Mm-hmm. And then, and then that's a basis for like, okay, what am I going to do to make changes? Did yeah. you have that? Yeah, mm-hmm. I wrote one for the faculty. <laughs> I said, here is my evaluation of this seminary and of how you are leading us. Can <laughs> wow. you imagine that? How would they take that time? So here's the crazy thing. So two things happened as a result. First of all, I, I pressure tested with uh, an older seminarian. And I said, is this too much like a sledgehammer? And he said, yeah. And, and so I, I, said, I went and I changed, um, I changed imperatives to subjunctives. Might it be the case? And I brought it back to him. And he said, what about now? And he said, well, now it's a velvet hammer. So anyways, I submitted it. And I got called into the vice rector's office, yeah, the dean of students, one. right? I got called in. And um, he said two things. Uh, I was nervous. And the first thing he said to me was, he sat me down, he said, Tom, you're not as sinful as you think you are. And I was like, what? I said, first of all, how do you know how sinful I am? And then the second thing is, how do you know how sinful I think I am? Right. So I, I, that wasn't a good way for him to start. But he ended up saying that the faculty took what I had submitted to them, and they were going to go away because they would go away once a semester and they would do uh, a time of reflection together. And they were using my evaluation as the basis of their day away. Wow. How crazy is that? <laughs> yeah. So Good thing it was only a velvet hammer and not the full sledgehammer. <laughs> no, I know. Maybe I would have gone away, right? I would have been <laughs> yeah. sent away. But that was like that was me. I had no I had I was not uh, like a I was not sophisticated. Like I wasn't street smart. I was so I was like the naive lover of the gospel and I love Jesus and like why wouldn't we want to go after the ideal together? So I don't know, somehow so they didn't kick me out. They didn't kick me out, but I discerned I needed to step away and was able to get that space that I needed to feel like, okay, Lord, give me that sense of what the call is. Where where is the call? So Um, and, and look at, look, lo and behold, here I am Yeah, spent my entire adult life serving the Lord and the church. Um, but as a layperson, mm-hmm. so, um, so fascinating what you were sharing father about that sense of a call and the emergence of the call. Um, do you remember the youngest person that you said this person has an authentic call? Like you said, it was 11 and 11, 11 years old, 11th right. grade. Was there any, like, have, have you bumped into any, like, St. Therese of the Child Jesus, First Holy <laughs> Communion, you know, anything like that, like, wow, that person, they got a gift, they got a call? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know, I, I think I, I've spotted some kids like that, but, you know, I feel like I've been so convinced with some with some um, boys I've known uh, that, oh boy, you know, you've got to enter the seminary, I think you've, there's something special about you, 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 you might be called a priesthood, so convinced of everyone I've ever met, you know, and 
and just completely wrong. You know, they're married now and happily so. And good for, you know, good for them. You know, I let it be known at their wedding. I said, I tried so hard to get him in the seminary. <laughs> and then he met you. you know. <laughs> it's all your fault. Yeah. It's all, <laughs> but in any event, so I've been, uh, I felt like I've just kind of scaled back those kind of expectations. Can I blind me to the, to the deeper truths of this person's character? But, um, but I have seen some, like even as young as like when they're, when they are preparing for the sacraments, they just kind of have a carriage about themselves that they're not just uh, doing this because it's what mom and dad wants, but that they they really they really want this and they are excited for it. And um, I remember when I was at the cathedral, my first year priesthood, there was one such kid um, who just really seemed to to get it. And everything that we were doing for sacramental prep, like he was fully engaged. And um, and this year he is applying for the Core Christi program here in Spokane. So you know maybe there was something there all along, and we'll see where it goes now. But nice, yeah. And yeah. what's that? What's that Core Christi program again, Father? This is my nice little tee up. Okay? Oh, this nice. Is, this is a little marketing <laughs> opportunity. Okay? Nice. Core Christi is the name of our of here in Spokane of our. Uh, it means the heart of Christ, and it's it's the name we have attached to uh, our propedeutic program. Propedeutic is preparatory. Um, it's something that Pope Francis in Rome have called for for the whole world, where seminary formation programs would would actually start with the probodeutic phase. The idea, as best I can gather so far, as we're kind of unpacking this, is um, you know you were talking about conveyor belt of the seminary, and why I'm convinced that that's still a thing is that guys will enter seminary and they're just now starting seminary, and they're getting crushed by the academics and the formation, and it's like they don't even have time to stop and breathe and actually ask the Lord, "Do you want me for this?" So they're not, you know, one wonders, are they even able to do discernment when they're being crushed on all sides by everything else? And so the idea of the propedeutic year, and in addition to other things for its purpose, is to uh, kind of minimize the academic rigor to a, to a minimum. And um, and so they're just taking the kind of, on our program, they're taking the, the gen ed requirements at SEC, uh, Spokane Community College, and not at Gonzaga. Uh, so the academic rigor is, you know, kind of a step down, as it were. And uh, but with the same kind of engagement with priest faculty to help them to discern. So a lot of built-in time for prayer and discernment, how to pray and how to discern will definitely be part of the program. And as I'm describing this to, you know, who are now high school juniors and seniors, I thought, well, great, they're going to like, man, you're just adding a year to what's already a really long preparatory, you know, preparation, you know, period. And now you're adding a year to that. That's going to be a a, tra- a sell. You know, it's going to sell me off of this. And actually, the opposite has happened. They they love the idea because it's kind of a no pressure invitation to discern. And and at the end of that first year, or maybe you discern need two years. Uh, if you're convinced, yes, I'm I'm called. I feel called, and the faculty seems to agree to take it to the next level. And then the more rigorous kind of formation begins. But the discernment is the primary ex- focus of that first year. Well, and and I think that it is so powerful. In some ways, I experienced it after five years in the seminary, mm-hmm. going and living with guys that are very intentional life of faith together, and it didn't have the pressure. But there was a seriousness, there was an engagement that said, I'm here because I want to grow in holiness and I want to fulfill, I want to discern and, and live God's call for my life. Um, I was talking about this with the bishop, mm. right, and um, with uh, um, with Father... Um, Barnett. Father Barnett, Father, yes, yeah. sorry. And they were talking about the, um, the diminishment in our culture today yeah. of basic or fundamental human formation mm-hmm. and how grace builds on nature. Mm-hmm. And so if we want kids today, young men today, to be able to discern a supernatural call, 
there needs to be a broad human foundation. And to be able to say, a lot of kids today, they're not getting it in their homes. They're not getting it in the culture they're living in. So to be able to pull them away and just focus on the human is immensely, immensely valuable. Well, Father, we're up against a break. When we come back, I want to pick up on that theme uh, today on Sound Insight. Back in a minute with Father Jeff Lewis. So, Father Lewis, so back, um, we are here talking about human formation is where we ended up. So, interestingly, when I was in Rome, uh, my second year in Rome, one of the things that had emerged in my own awareness was the need for greater human formation. And so here I am in Rome. And so I set upon myself the task of two different things. The first was to go and visit a museum every week when I was in Rome, to just build out a greater like sensibility and sensitivity to art and um, the, the beauties of um, human invention, right? What, what has humanity produced? And, and Rome is full mm-hmm. of incredible museums or churches. And I did it not seeking new spiritual insight, not seeking like deeper theological understanding. It was all about just growing as a human being. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing I did was um, I took a list that I got from Brother Randall Reed. Brother Randall Reedy is, uh, was the librarian at the North American College and an, inc- an immensely cultured man. Uh, and he... Uh, after lunch, there'd be a group of us that were sort of his followers uh, come and just have a cup of tea and just listen to him just orate. Uh, brilliant uh, you know, interlocutor and just to sort of sit at his feet was just a delight. Well, he had such a following that people were like, Brother Randall, how do we like kind of climb the mountain of culture? And he uh, was challenged to come up with a list of 100 books that anyone who would consider themselves like cultured in just in the English language um, should have read. And he was like, do I have to limit it to a (laughs) hundred? Which was amazing. And so there's this famous list that is out there that he produced. So I got the list and I started going, working my way down. I think I'd only read about maybe 15 or 20 of them. So I had my work cut out for me. And so I started working my way through the complete works of William Shakespeare and a whole bunch of Charles Dickens books and Mark Twain's and and just a number of, um, and and it was, again, not seeking spiritual growth. It was the human formation. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you that, like, I learned so much about God the Father from reading David Copperfield. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a figure in David Copperfield, this father who goes chasing after his her, his daughter who is wayward, and at the end, he has he has got her home, he's oh, got wow. her, and they're they're going um, on a ship as they leave together, and it was just it moved me so deeply. I, I gained an understanding of who God the Father is, mm-hmm. and that wasn't even the goal, but reading good human formation literature. Okay, that's a long wind-up. Does any of that ring true for you in your work with young men or even just in your own life? Um, It does, you know, and and especially, I guess, as the as we keep moving forward, you know, as I as I talk with young, you know, young men or any any youth, really, 
you know, um, in fact, it was interesting. We had a conversation, really good conversation with our high school youth group uh, last night um, with Emma Smith, my youth mentor and, and uh, youth director, and I was there and just asking the kids, like, what is, what's kind of what's kind of the you know, just to kind of get into their world a little bit. What are what are kids listening to? What's the fashion trend? You know, these kind of things, and what are the slang and 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 we would ask them pointed questions like, you know, do you ever talk about like kind of s- serious things or is it all superficial or do you just, what's your preferred, well, even before we got there, what is your preferred means of communication in your circle of friends? Is it to text? Is it Instagram? And uh, a couple of them said, no, we uh, put that away and we are, we're talking face to face, which that was enlightening to me. But this is kind of an aspect of human information. I suspect it was unusual. Uh, I still suspect it's unusual that people would actually talk face to face in that age range, but that you would prefer text or Instagram or things like that. And so the human information that's lacking that maybe the propedeutic ear can help address as well as one of the purposes of it is to just help the young men to know how to have a conversation, how to sit down at dinner and and to and to eat politely, you know, with with some civility. Not that we're eating with the Queen of England or anything like that, but to know that the fork goes on your left and the spoon on your right, and we don't slurp our soup and all this. Wait other a minute, stuff. let me let me get these down. Let me get <laughs> and um, you know, some of the guys that I've invited into the ProPodue program who um, come from solid, stable families and homes. And have a sense of that, and I've uh, had uh, you know dinners with them, and so on. And so it's not like we're boorish at their meal times, but but they're uh, they might be an exception to the rule, um, I suspect. And so anyway, so these kind of very basic kind of human formation things um, are another thing that we hope the Propedukier program will will help address and help help uh, foster the spirit of discernment in these young men. Well, and what you just said out loud is kind of scary. What you just said was, in part, that to teach the kids to be able, these kids, these are young men, like 19, 20 years old, to teach them to be able to sit at a table and have a meal without their devices, uh-huh. without their smartphones, and to be able to look people in the eyes and know how to have a, a, you know, a rich conversation about some topic without getting antsy and without getting um, awkward and and uncomfortable and it's like quickly move me on and where's my phone right right uh to say that we've decayed that much that quickly that's really stunning i know yeah i would i mean i might propose to uh, father Brennan and bishop that maybe required reading for the probodic year one is babat's feast have you ever read that book or, i have not or, read i don't know if it's a I've book but it's a, it's a movie yeah yeah uh, to watch that movie uh because there's like here's what Here's what a meal like is and ought to be, and here is how it ought to unfold, and uh, where you can have these conversations and you 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 know with people and, and you you get a good mix of personalities so that, so that the dinner is lively but civil and all the rest and and the whole point of that movie is just preparation for that feast and the reasons why and it sounds boring as all get out. The first time I heard about this, I said that sounds boring. I'd rather eat the meal, not watch it. And then I watched it. I was pretty blown away because of kind of what it teaches us about the the subtleties of of uh, refined human society. Mm-hmm. You, did you ever see the movie My Dinner with Andre? I haven't seen that one. Oh, no. you've got to see that movie. It's guess what it's about? Dinner with Andre. It's about this guy's <laughs> dinner with Andre, and and it's like this is the whole movie. The guy shows up at the restaurant. They sit. Andre shows up. They talk, and the movie ends with him driving away from the dinner, and it is. 
Um, it is fascinating. Um, it's a fascinating meal just about the nature of the conversation. Um, and there's one scene in it. I I won't do it as a giveaway, but watch the movie and then come back and you'll, you'll see, cause it's, it's so much more magnified today. What happens when they interact with the waiter, uh, today it is so like moving from being conscious and talking with someone else about something. And then all of a sudden the waiter comes in and they're completely unconscious of what it is they're doing when they engage with the waiter. And then they get back to their conversation. That's kind of obscure what I just said, but you'll appreciate it when you see it. My dinner with Andre. (laughs) I, I remember I tried to convince a couple of my siblings to watch it. I mean, I was like, I think I was in my early twenties and they were like, this was so boring. I just <laughs> turned it off. Why would you watch that movie? So the the main character is, um, oh gosh, what is his name? He it was in The Princess Bride. He's Vizzini. Oh, in Princess uh, Bride. Uh, what's that actor? Uh, Wallace Shawn. Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating. fascinating. Wow. Okay. So, there you go. It's yeah. just raise the bar. There, there we, we go. I, I can't believe I saw a cultured movie that you haven't seen, Father, Father Lewis. Man, your stock, day. Has, your stock has gone down. I can't believe it. So, okay, this actually for me is connected to what I said was the theme of today, St. Agnes, conversion of St. Paul, St. Francis de Sales. Yeah. And I think that that's connected to this propedeutic year at Cor Christi. And by the way, if you want to find out about this, just go to the Diocese of Spokane website, which is? org, and you'll see it right on the main page and by the way if you believe in this if you value this they are definitely looking for folks to walk with them financially so i know they're in the midst of a capital campaign to get the funds to re uh, to redo this building to renovate it in a way that would allow these young men to come and you'll be doing an amazing work to help form young people to be able to live their faith and what they're doing is saint agnes work mm-hmm. they're doing but they're also doing Conversion of St. Paul work, mm-hmm. right? So conversion to St. Paul. Father, uh, you've got a minute and a half. Tell us what that feast is about. Well, it's about the conversion of St. Paul. Uh, it's a story in the Acts of the Apostles. I was just talking to my eighth grade class about this a little bit today and in their preparation to study the book of Acts. And um, St. Paul is a very uh, devout uh, Pharisee, um, uh, ferociously so, and a young man named Saul who's uh, acquired, you know, in his uh, zeal for proper Jewish uh, religion and tradition, has obtained letters of uh, arrest, I guess, uh, warrants, I guess, to go f- hunt down Christians, arrest them, drag them back in chains to Jerusalem, where perhaps they would suffer the same fate as Jesus himself for being, uh, you know, heretics and blasphemers and so on. And on the road to Damascus, where he knows there's a, a, a collection of Christians waiting to be arrested, uh, he falls off his high horse, is blinded, and God speaks to him and says, Why are you persecuting me? Jesus speaking to him, because what is Saul doing persecuting the church? Amen. When we come back, we're going to pick up on that theme and connect it to our own lives of faith, because for so many of us, growth involves fundamentally a conversion to Christ. Back in a minute with Sound Insight. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. Again, I'm with Father Jeff Lewis. If you're enjoying this program, please go to mycatholicfaith.org, mycatholicfaith.org, mycatholicfaith.org. There, you'll be able to access this program. You'll be able to access the Apple Podcast version of this program, which is the Dr. Tom Podcast. You can also contact me and get access to free digital resources, whether it is digital eBooks or uh, talks or videos, um, all available for the big price of free. How's that sound, Father? <laughs> 
It's a good deal. Sounds Take pretty it. good to me. <laughs> so mycatholicfaith.org, I'd love to hear from you. Be in touch with me if you'd like. We love feedback about these programs. So, Father, the conversion of St. Paul, he thought he could see. He thought he saw clearly. He thought he saw deeply. He thought that his sight translated into fervent, zealous action was, in fact, godly. But he didn't realize how blind he was. Yeah, he didn't yeah. realize just how blind he was, and and that's a fascinating thing—a revelation of one's blindness. And and literally, Saint Paul became blinded. Mm-hmm. And I love it. What was the uh, the end of the story for him to get his blindness um, to to regain his sight? Do you remember how that happened? Well, he had to he had to go to he had to be led to I think he had to be led to Damascus to one of the Christians he was probably going to arrest, uh, Ananias, who then prayed over him. Yeah, in the name of Jesus to regain his sight. And the scales fell from his eyes. Yeah. I One of the funniest passages in the New Testament to me is Ananias in prayer hearing that he's called to go and pray over St. Paul. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what Ananias said to God? How could I? He's, don't you know who he is? Lord, <laughs> I, I, maybe you don't know this, yeah. Lord. Let me give you a clue. <laughs> yeah, let me kind of kind of kind of dial you in here. Lord, he actually is persecuting a lot of people and I, I are you sure about yeah. this? It's like maybe you haven't heard. <laughs> I just love that. I love that kind of like like bringing it to to the Lord like he has no idea. <laughs> are you sure about this? Right? <laughs> I love that. And then the scales fall from his eyes, Holy Spirit, and then he is going to become, he goes from being blind, a blind persecutor, uh, believing he was following God, to receiving the power to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Yeah. Very, very humbling path. Yeah. Um, now, isn't that also just the really the deepest need of these folks? You think about these men, young men, entering this propedeutic year, um, but as a, as a signal to all of us that... Yes, grow in your own humanity, your authentic humanity, but be open to the revelation of your own blindness mm-hmm. and how the Lord wants to bring true sight supernaturally. Mm-hmm. And in uh, if regard to, again, going back to discerning one's vocation, um, you know, in some ways I tell folks, for me, it's kind of easy to give my personal testimony about you know my walk with the Lord because it's it's uh, it, it's a walk hand in hand with the Lord as I'm discovering and being formed in my vocation, and uh, I think that is one way a lens through which many folks can simply talk about their faith journey is in the context of their vocation, married or whatever. And if maybe some married folks had never thought of it that way before, so they can like, well, let's look back at our marriage, see where the Lord has definitely been strong in our lives. And so a re-embrace of that sense of vocation can be a rediscovery of your faith journey all along. And uh, so, you know, as I just talk about my vocation story, which which these young men entering Pope Dudek here, this, they'll get to tell theirs as well, that uh, my vocation story is really a... Uh, a microcosm of my conversion story, so to speak, in my walk with the Lord. And what did St. Paul do? He had his conversion, and through that, uh, he he uh, discovered his vocation to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And um, and so you know, there's it's it's not it's not an unnatural or, or a forced artificial um, twinning of conversion and vocation, but we see it right there in Scripture. The discovery of their vocation is hand in hand with uh, their call to conversion. So, Father, you, you made me think about um, the idea of marriage and conversion in marriage. It's this is one of the things that folks you don't get 
you're not married very long before you discover that marriage is the great revealer. Uh huh. It, it's the great revealer. Oh, you're not trying, right? If you discover that you're in your marriage, that wow, I'm amazing, and I just my amazingness is just shining forth in every pore of my being, and everyone's appreciating it. You're not trying. You're still blind. You're still blind. <laughs> However, if you um, if you engage it all in the call to pour yourself out and sacrificially in love, giving yourself as a gift um, to others, well, you're going to discover, in fact, the great need you have for conversion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm saying this because this year at the Novena, um, our, at Our Lady of Lords mm-hmm. Cathedral, um, the theme is on healing in marriages. Good. And I don't know if you knew that. I didn't, so, but it's it's very timely. Yeah, yeah, someone well, someone texted us. I don't know if they're trying to give us a hint or a clue, <laughs> Carrie and I. Like, hey, you should really come. This year the uh, the theme is I'm on the website looking for it. I don't see it here. Uh, but there is an upcoming have you ever gone to the um, novena at Our Lady of Lords? Oh, yeah. Uh, Father Connell started doing that the year that I was there as well. And um, um, most years, uh, he's invited me to be one of the speakers at one of the events. So I've been there many times. Yeah, so it's wonderful. And it's it's not that long. I think it's like at 7 he, at night. He keeps them um, deliberately to about 45 minutes, except when it's on a weekend mass, then yeah. it's the mass. But. And then I think, isn't the last evening? It's one of the evenings they, they also do like a healing mass. Uh, well, uh, he administers healing. anointing of the la- the the, the, the ninth final day. the ninth the day. day. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. Um, so I encourage you to go to the website uh, Diocese of Spokane or Our Lady of Lords Cathedral. That's the website I should probably should have uh, gone Spokane to SpokaneCathedral uh, yeah. I think. Okay, so if I go to that, Father, you can fill the gap here for a minute <laughs> and. Uh, um, yeah, there it is, Our Lady of yeah, Lords. Our Lady of Lords website, and um, yeah, you know the um, uh, yeah exactly. If you enter more deeply into marriage, is. and it, it, as you say, it's the great revealer. That's I've heard heard many couples say that. Like, I thought, in fact, uh, who, who's uh, I think it's Jason Evert, Jason Christalina Evert. Um, they uh, they speak on theology of the body and, and chastity project and so on, and and he talks about their marriage together. I said, you know, I thought I was a pretty upstanding guy. You know, I'm I'm just a, I'm the prize here, and and then I get married, and I I found out, yeah, I was absolutely right. I am the prize, and there's Christine just elbowing him in the side, like you are not. And yeah. So, anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm surprised, is what I uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the novena begins, um, it's coming up in uh, the end of next week on Thursday, February the 3rd, through Friday, February the 11th. Thursday the 3rd through Friday the 11th, all happening at the Cathedral of Our Lady of Lords, and it's a Lord's Novena for Healing. And it's actually at 5.30 in the evening, not 7. 5.30 in the evening on most days. All the weekdays, it begins at 5.30. And on Saturday and Sunday, it is at 4 p.m. So all of that is available. There's a flyer you can get if you go to the website uh, for spokanecathedral.com. It's the first link. It's right there in front of you. It gives you the schedule for the uh, uh, Lord's Novena. And again, Lord's is all about healing. Right. Yeah. It's uh, Saint Bernadette. It's all about healing. It's all about how the Lord wants to bring healing into our lives. Healing should not be this thing that is somehow considered an extraordinary condescension on the part of God, who's like, oh, "Fine, all right, fine. If you can't yeah. figure it out, I'll just give you a little bit of healing and be done." Or, you know, go to the doctor. Right. You know, if we would just, um, I, I try to tell folks, especially in spiritual, if we would just kind of understand God is not some. Supreme King and Judge, although he certainly is, but God is our Father, and just like any good father, 
you know, it doesn't matter if the if the child kind of fell and 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 bumped a, bumped his hand or or got a serious wound. The father wants to be there to heal all of it, even if it's a superficial healing. Like, well, let me just put a let me just let me just kiss your boo boo or whatever, and and now the child is happy again, right? But but the father wants to do that, and God the Father wants to do that for us. You know, I said earlier that it's timely at the theme of the that the theme of the novena is marriage and uh, healing and marriage. I've been talking with some folks, and I I, I want to de- you know kind of declare a parochial year on the theme of healing at St. Mary Parish, and healing in all of its stripes and needs and forms, including uh, including ne- uh, the need for healing in marriages. So, um, I, I, you know, anyone who hears any priest who hears confessions or hears spiritual direction, you know, it seems now more than ever there's just so much brokenness and woundedness uh, in people, and I I know so many couples that you would think, holy cow, that's a solid couple, and then you find out, no, oh, there's quite a bit of darkness there and they're quite wounded in many ways and so i just i've i've perceived it myself the desperate need for for healing in uh, in marriages and in any human relationship so it's funny because carrie and i when carrie comes on she's typically on fridays this past week she was on on thursday we make a point of sharing the woundedness and the brokenness that's part of our lives um, because I think there is a tendency for folks that have a platform, um, any kind of sort of visibility, uh, like they're on the radio, to say, I- I'm all together and you're going to figure it out. Let me teach you from yeah. my high platform. And I think it's one of the things they find endearing or refreshing or encouraging is, wow, the current struggle with that? Hey, man, we're way better than they are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they really, they're not alone, right? right? They're not alone. It's like, wow, you know, I'm str- I struggle with that too. Mm-hmm. And so it gives them a sense of encouragement to keep going forward. But I love that. Uh, Carrie's word for the year is healing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's all come together. Th- th- yeah. There it is. The Lord is about a healing work this year. Yeah. Last comment, Father. Um, we got to those quotes on St. Francis de Sales. Well, right? I mean, they're sitting right here in front of me, so I've been looking at them throughout the, the whole program. Yeah, but, well, um, you can take them with you. Oh, good. Uh, but the introduction to the devout life, that for me is sort of the last piece of this puzzle, the propodeutic yeah. year. Um, there is an amazing prayer at the end of like the first three or four, two weeks or three weeks, this prayer, resolution okay. to give oneself to God, which is such an amazing prayer. Um, but that... Uh, that is an amazing book. Yeah, it's a staple of Catholic spirituality. Any Catholic reading, you know, if you're going to read a Catholic book, that's got to be on the top of the list. Oh, my goodness. If you're trying to grow in your prayer life, it is incredible. So, all right, well, there we go. We talked about St. Francis de Sales. Yes. Snuck him in at the end. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for listening. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight. God bless your day.